Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 83, The Yogas of Dream and Sleep. Tenzin Wangyal Rinpoche joins us again to discuss the teachings of dream and sleep yoga, an ancient Tibetan practice that enables one to use the dream state to attain liberation. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. You mentioned the dissolution process, and my understanding is that the practices of dream yoga kind of take you through all that process. Is that correct? Like there's stages of practice? Yeah, so basically, practice of dream yoga and sleep yoga, there are many stages. You know, in my book, I clearly talk about all those different levels. And some levels of the practice, I think it's applicable for everybody, regardless of a lot of background. I think in, in those type of knowledge, I think I strongly recommend to everybody because they might, they will really make a change in people's life because where you go to sleep, basically it will improve your uh, quality of sleep. It will be improve the quality of your dream and that will help your waking life and so on. But then there are other formal practices like, you know, dividing up night into four sessions and focusing on the different chakras and those forms of practice might get a little bit more complicated. Mm. But, you know, uh, so that you need much more clear guidance from the experienced teacher or uh, the senior students or something like that so that you you learn properly and do properly and maybe it's not maybe not so difficult to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. So it depends. In the dream your practice, it contains everything, you know. Mm. And so, um, have you found Westerners having any difficulty uh, with the Tibetan dream yoga practices, or is it more about working with the teacher? Well, I think uh, generally, you see, the dream, it's a very, you, you cannot really sleep well when you have a lot of activities. Mm-hmm. Uh, externally, a lot of activity, internally, your thoughts. So, dream. The dream and uh, sleeping and dreaming is something you've got to be relaxed and so on. So I think generally uh, Western people, when they look at the dream yoga practice, they look at, oh, oh, yes, so I can do this, I can do that. Oh, that seems exciting. That seems like, you know, uh, they get too excited about things. (laughs) So too excited about things means they will try to do too much things uh, and activate too much their thoughts, activate too much their emotions. Uh, so sometimes because of that, you know, they will not actually have the effect of the dream yoga practice. Mm. Uh, often sometimes happens for some people, those who have some good, naturally having some good quality of dream and sleep, even it might affect that. Mm. So you have to recognize if when that is happening, while well, you're being too excited about things, you know? Right. You have to calm down, relax, quiet down, just trying to understand the practice and then apply more gently, more gently. Right. You know, so in that sense, sometimes I think Westerners have difficult. But otherwise, I think um, the t- teaching one time, another older Tibetan teacher uh, said to me that, oh, you know, uh, the dream yoga practice is very high teaching. 
uh, and it should not should not be shared like that or something like that. So mm. you know, it's a generation gap. Uh, <laughs> people, some people right. think like that. I don't agree with that. You know, like the principle of the dream and sleep yoga practices apply in in throughout many cultures. Native Americans, Aboriginal dream time. And, and you know, in the Western, in the Western main teams of union, so much applications of the dream yoga practice. So it depends on what level you are trying to approach and practice. Right, that makes sense. So, so there is a, there is something for you in the dream yoga practice. It's it's a matter of knowing what that is for me and how I should do it, uh, not just closing the chapter of the dream yoga and sleep altogether, right. saying it's a difficult. Uh-huh. Yes, some some part is difficult. Even somebody wanted to apply, even egoistically, they wanted to apply. Some there are some Westerners want to do everything, even they are not ready to do. And nature will tell them they they are not able to do it. Mm. So that even not somebody to hold on something, but situation itself will clarify that. But there are other things. It's incredible. I think I strongly recommend people to work on their dreams. Wonderful. I remember, I don't know how often you do this, but I know you do some dream yoga retreats. Is that right? Yes. You know, like the dream yoga practices are part of, uh, it's very similar, like in our six yogas of Naropa in, uh, in our Madha Tantra, uh, Madha Tantra teaching. So there's a six cycle of teaching. So I teach uh, one of them every year at our Ligmija's retreat center. So we where we're able to like five, six days of teaching and practice together. And then other places where usually I, you know, my time is getting a little bit more limited. And so I usually, I just spend a weekend with places where people are interested to share a little bit, which, you know, there's nothing you can do in a weekend. Right. It's just the way of mm-hmm. saying, okay, being people are interested to make connection to the teaching and that if they're seriously in, uh, interested, then they should read the book. They should continue to pursue with their, their own and with the teacher to study and go deeper, you know? Right. And Rinpoche, uh, I had one more question about the dream yoga practice. I remember reading your book and seeing that there are different kinds of dreams. And you mentioned uh, one kind of dream called uh, dreams of clarity and another called clear light dreams. And I was wondering if you could say a little bit about, about those different kinds yeah, of dreams. Yeah, so basically most average dreams we have is what so-called samsaric dreams. Samsaric right? dreams. Samsaric dream basically means samsara is... the what, what definition of samsara is, is basically the one who possessed the pain as a result of grasping. Right. Samsaric, that's a definition of samsaric being. So samsara is the one, the grasping mind. The ignorance is the samsara. So all ignorance and all its products are samsara. So most of our dreams are like that. It's caused, primarily caused by ignorance. And its secondary causes is the, the negative emotions, like poisons. And then immediate causes is like activities where these emotions are reflected in our everyday life. So when something is activated strong, it, there's a good chance that night you will dream about that or story related to that or sometimes which is connected to the very deep place of ignorance. You can clearly see in one's dream. So those all those type of dreams are called samsaric dreams. Right. Then there is other dreams. I think there's more uh, clear dreams. Uh, it's still not purely not, it's not to say not samsaric, but, but it's not so strong defined samsaric dreams. There's a much more a sense of uh, clarity. 
There's much more sense of its ability to discover things like shamans will use, uh, people will use to, to diagnose people's sickness, diseases. Uh, one can use to uh, to discover hidden treasures or discover uh, like meat, like uh, enlightened beings or meet spirits, communicate with, you know, like it's like a meeting point for mm. many people. They can able to use them when they have more clear, like a dream of clarity or something like that. In the Burn tradition also, there's a whole theory of divination based only on dream. Ah. So how you can use the dream to discover certain things, unknown hidden things and so on. And also, like uh, people who do a uh, spiritual development, practices, retreats, uh, how you know that your practice is working. So the dream also becomes uh, ways to know one's development, inner development. A dream also becomes uh, ways to know that if one is a right student or not. A teacher, teacher often asks, when I was first time I went to my teacher, he didn't ask me to feel any form that if I am qualified to be a student or not. <laughs> he simply asked me, go to sleep, tell me a dream tomorrow morning. So it's not like how many trainings you have, how many classes you have attended, what you have read, and not, it's not about that. It's about come up with your dream. Mm. Oh, interesting. So And you go with your, you go, go to sleep that night because you have teachers said so that energetically some connection there, you, you come up, you have a dream, and you go next day to the teacher, and the teacher says, okay, look at that dream. I said, okay, you can come to the class, or sorry, you are not qualified. Interesting. So that actually happened to you when you were uh, yes, younger? Yes, absolutely. Mm, so, so then the clear light is not so much about having dream or not having dream. It's the state, it's state of sleep itself. It's a pure. Mm. When, 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 uh, during one's sleep, when one is able to maintain most clear aspect of our awareness, the rigpa, and not lose the connection to that awareness, that's called clear light sleep. Okay, I got you. So, so the stabilization of Rigpa uh, actually goes into the dream state and yes, continues. absolutely. But there's always, as you know, that in uh, my uh, it's called Tibetan Yogas of Dream, and the title of the book is Tibetan Yogas of Dream and Sleep. So there is clearly in you know in the West, uh, of course, there is a knowledge about a lot of knowledge about the dream. But as far as the sleep is concerned, there's not so much discuss about it as if it can be a practice or practice or very important practice or practice toward enlightenment or anything like that. But in our tradition, the sleep is equally or more important than the state of dream as far as personal or spiritual or enlightened development is concerned. Yeah, because you were speaking about you know the elements dissolving and, and some sense of awareness continuing even as they get more and more subtle and that seem like what you're describing is uh, awareness being stable yeah, throughout absolutely, all those states. Because if you, if you look at, you know, the, what I was saying earlier, like a joy, we know the joy of having a new car or new relationship or finding a good ideal job or something. We know what joy it means, but we don't know the joy of, uh, we, have, we know less the joy of, you know, like with this meditation practices doing internally and experiencing joy through them, or we, we know very little that just the joy of being, mm. joy of no reasons, 
So it's it's true for many many people. It's hard to know what what do you mean, joy of being. You know, if you if you have some sense of joy of being, if you look, what does that mean? That basically means it has less connection to the material and reasoning and circumstances and conditions. There is existence of oneself less connected to the circumstances and condition. The more you discover that, the more the reason, joy without reason you're going to have, joy of being you're going to have. Same way with the sleep. The sleep is less, dreams are more conditioned by the circumstances, and we know we are, we are able to be afraid. We know we are able to be happy. We know we are able to feel good, bad, hopeful, fearful. But when we go to sleep, we, we kind of become paralyzed. But ability to have the experience of this being, experiences of bliss, experiences of being aware within the sleep state, it's much more important. Mm. I had a question I've wondered about for some time. And, you know, in many of the Buddhist traditions, there there aren't really any dream practices, like in the Zen tradition or in the Theravada. There's not any explicit dream practices. And yet they're clearly trying to stabilize some sort of non-dual awareness through practice. And I'm wondering, is it natural if someone begins to stabilize that for that to continue into the dream state without doing any explicit practices? Or is it possible that someone... Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure, you know, like if you're asking the possibility, probably it's possible. But harder, maybe. But uh, Yeah, yeah, but uh, you, you have less uh, options. You have less choices. Let's say somebody who... Who, who is very active in their dreams, okay? Uh, so who have uh, incredible dreams, who have a lot of capacity in their dreams, and somebody who having all those qualities with the sleep and dream and not applying once aware, trying to develop awareness of change or transform, using that natural ability of what one has, seems like a not, not it's kind of sad, sad. Right. And, and said not paying attention at all to that and trying to force oneself at the places where one does not have so much a potentiality. Right, right. So are you saying... You know, that, it's, it's like a, a going against the wind uses less more gas. Right. Mm-hmm. So are you saying there are certain people that just naturally have this capacity to work with yes. their dreams? Yes, absolutely. I mean, generally, I mean, what personally my feeling is that uh, uh, in... Uh, like traditions where, you know, like, you know, when we talk about the uh, six yogas of Naropa or something like that, these six, we, what we teach here, like dream, sleep, pardo, powa, and all these things, element, all these things, is basically, it definitely gives a, a lot of options mm. to different people. Mm. Uh, well, you're going to die. So you really need to understand about the pardo. Right. Uh, you, you, when you die, you need to do, uh, be aware of how to transfer the consciousness. It's a power. Well, you, you need to work with the fear. So the the main emotion or conditions that we have, these are specific tool practices emphasize particularly for that. And if if there is specific tool and a particular practices for that, I think it's more helpful. It's it's like basically like trying to fix the car and you can, if you're trying to fix the car, if you have a, like a tanker painter, you have all the 
tools for tanga painting. Tanga painting tool might not really work very well for <laughs> fixing a car. Right. <laughs> or the vice versa. You're trying to ha- you have your mechanic, your whole dirty in the mechanic in the garage or things like that, and you you have two and you're trying to paint the tanka will not wor- work so well because it's one is so gross, one is quite subtle. Mm. But having a right tool uh, for specific conditions seems helpful. Maybe in some particular person's case, might never need that tool. Possible. Less chance. Mm. So, with the six yogas of Naropa, then I'm getting the sense that some students just naturally gravitate to a few of them, or naturally that they're able to use the tools much easier than some of yes. the others. Yes. For example, some people uh, naturally gravitate toward a specific practice. And I'm just giving an example when, since the topic is a dream, let's give an example of dream and sleep. Yeah. So, some people naturally have a lot of ability to work with dream and sleep as a practice. Or also that some people messes up most of their ability to be and grow and achieve, transform themselves because of their wrong way of going to sleep and their, their, all the problems they have with their dreams and the nightmares and so on. Maybe that's what they're messing it up. So if they don't have a particular way of dealing with that, and let's say 20 years of messing up something and having a few hours of uh, calm abiding, trying to sit calm and quiet, right. it will be hard to, hard to balance it out. Right, I see what you're saying. So the day practices could be overwhelmed by all the just the incorrect a- night practices. Absolutely, absolutely. Ah, that's interesting. And one last question. Uh, we spoke to Alan Wallace, who teaches dream yoga and also uh, lucid dreaming, uh, from Stephen LeBurge, and I was wondering if you're familiar with Stephen LeBurge and his methodology. And, and yes, you know, uh, absolutely. You know, I I think uh, it's it's wonderful work what he's doing, and uh, you know, uh, the ancient tradition. Uh, the, I mean, basically, the first of all, let's say this way, that the lucid dreaming, the notion of lucid dreaming, and it's being a practice, and it's used that lucid dreaming as a method to heal, uh, change, transform. This method is thousands of years of existence. Right. Nothing new. Right, right. So, uh, so nobody can claim that it's something, it's new discovery or something like that. And people who are uh, finding a new ways, uh, easier ways, a more uh, more effective ways to bring this knowledge out. I think it's a great. I think that's what Stephen Lourish is doing. Some people who you mean using the, that this gadget or something like that. Definitely, I think it's helpful for to first of all to know it's possible and have some sense of trust to it. And then uh, I think in the end, we we all need to know that when we die, we lose our body. When we lose our body, no matter how many things you pluck to the body, is not going to help to awake your awareness. Mm. So therefore, you do not want it to be totally conditioned by these machines either. Right. Mm. Use them to know it exists, know it's possible, and gradually uh, find a way to not use them so that you can able to be aware without it. So if you are able to have lucid dreams without being plugged on gadgets 
and then you have a chance to help in the pardo uh, in according to these teachings. I mean, you know, I'm talking about according to these teachings. Right. You know, so otherwise, if you think, you know, in the pardo, the machine is going to help, that will be not, well, it will be harder. harder. I don't know if it's possible or not. You know, I mm-hmm. think it's not possible. Mm. That's a great point. And just because you've alluded to it, I was wondering if you could say a little more about the bardo, because we've been kind of hinting around it that these dream practices are helping us become aware throughout the process of death. And then what's what's the result of, of being able to actually do that? As I said earlier, so like awareness, imagine level of earth, you're, you're more aware. Level of water, you're less aware. Level of, you know, the fire, less air, less the mind, the space, less aware. So when you, dissolution of the elements, it naturally happens, it's harder and harder to be aware of something because our awareness are very much dependent on objects and matter and dualities. So during the sleep, when you, when, when you go to sleep, you, you're kind of losing your all the connection to the senses, but still kind of trying to maintain awareness, still trying to maintain awareness. And finally, you lost all the connection to the sense object, but you find still uh, some sense of awareness. If you're able to maintain that, that is a first step. Mm. So if you, you repeat that same exercise again and again until it becomes so familiar that, you know, you know you, you're not going to lose it, the awareness. Right. And if that is true, then that's how it helps the pardo, you know. Right. And in the bardo, I mean, the, the Tibetan teachings are that you go through some sort of... Yeah, in the, in the bardo, you go through different stages of the pardo, you know, you mm-hmm. have a clear light clear light pardo, you have existence pardo, you know, different stages of the pardo. Uh, each stage of the pardo, it's one opportunity to have experiences of awareness. Oh. And as you go more and more, you have maybe uh, less and less opportunity, you know? Right, And I then see. if you're totally not being aware, then the recycle, re- re- rebirth begins. That's how it is believed. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, 
you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.